And let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through verse 13. Let's read. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that one, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciences. Verse 12, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that is filled with life and nourishment. We're going to receive it by faith, be nourished by it, edified by it today. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you for ministering it in such a way they walk away hearing from you, hearing exactly what they need. I believe only you can do this miracle. Father, I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to verse 9 start unpacking this. It says, Therefore, we make it our aim whether to be present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Last week we talked about that we are going to all have a resurrection body. Whether we pass on before Jesus comes or when Jesus comes, we'll get a resurrection body. And so while we're here, we're absent from the Lord. What does that mean? Physically, in his resurrection body, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. We're here. He's with us in spirit. His spirit's here. So he says, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But when we pass on and leave this body, we're going to be in the very presence of Jesus to where we look fully into his face. Can you wait for the, Can't wait for that, can you? And so one day we're going to be with him. And Paul's bringing this out, present or absent, speaking about that here. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether to be present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. He says, we make it our aim. What are you aiming at? Ask someone, what, what are you aiming at? Well, pastor, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not really aiming at anything. Well, you're hitting it then. You should be aiming at certain things in life. And here, one thing Paul brought out, this is what I'm aiming at. And, and look at the word aim, make it our aim. It's a Greek word, two compound, a Greek uh, compound word uh, brought together. And it really means this, to love, to show honor. The Greek word for love, phileo, and uh, timos, which means honor. It means one who loves to show honor. So he, he says, you know what? That's my aim is to show honor. First of all, honor God and to honor other people. And so it's my aim to show honor. Whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's to the Lord. Say well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Paul says, I want to be well-pleasing. Whether I'm with him or here, I want to be well-pleasing. Raise your hand if you want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Well, you say, well, pastor, I thought I was already accepted. You know, Jesus died, and I, and I thought he already accepted me. Isn't that the same as being well-pleasing? Well, no, not actually. Being accepted by God's based, really, a judicial act of redemption where Jesus died for you, and he took your sins away, caused you to be born again, and put you in a position of acceptance. And so you're accepted by the beloved. And as long as you're in Christ Jesus, you're always accepted 100% of the time. Always Tell someone you're fully accepted by God. But we're going to find out we're not always fully pleasing in everything we do. Well, let's make this clear. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Uh, who has kids here? Amen. Do you always accept your children? Because they're your children. Uh -huh. But are you always ple well pleased with their behavior? There you go. God is a father. And he always accepts you. But there's areas where he, he's not always fully or well pleased in certain areas. And so, well, you all said, well, I want to be well pleasing. Well, pastor, I want to be well pleasing. But that seems so complicated. Where does it start with pleasing God? Well, the things of God are not complicated. That's why he calls us sheep. It's not complicated. 
And how, how, how word well-pleasing is pretty, pretty simple. And so, but pastor, how do I become well-pleasing to the Lord? Well, good question. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 6 with me this morning. Hebrews 11, look at verse 6. We're actually having Bibles turning. That's awesome. <clears throat> Hebrews eleven six. You know, this is a first world problem, not having lyrics up. Or In the first service, we didn't have heat this morning. And think, you know, I can't worship like this. <laughs> well, you know, there's many Christians around the world that worship without electricity. They're sitting on the dirt. They're underground, worrying if they're going to be caught anytime. And we have a we have a first world problem. They don't have my scriptures up there. <laughs> Hebrews eleven six. We're all faith giants here. All right. Hebrews eleven six. By faith it is hard to please God. I'm sorry, clueless translation. Without faith it is impossible. To please him. So, so you all said, I want to please God. Well, it's not hard. It's have faith in God. And what's faith? Trust. Trust God. When you're trusting God, you're being well-pleasing to him. Because nothing causes him to be more pleased is when you're trusting him. Amen. You're trusting him. We're going to find out later that there's a prayer in, in Colossians we're going to read that we can be fully pleasing because this brings out the fact that we can be trusting God in one area and not be trusting him in another area. And so we can be well-pleasing in many areas, and I trust we are, but there's sometimes an area where we're not trusting God or fully trusting God. And so let's look at some major stones of trust that we're going to go over. There's many areas, but I'm going to go over the major ones. Are we trusting God with our family? Be trusting God with our family. Are you trusting God with your children, your grandchildren? Well, they're off the rails and they're going crazy and I'm just worried. You can't worry and trust God. Oh, right. well, God, I'm just going to trust you, Jesus, with this worry. <laughs> you cannot worry and trust at the same time. Got to trust God. Trust God with your kids. Now, it's up to you to raise them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, well, my teenagers is going crazy. Well, they're not old. There's time. They won't depart from it. And so we're to train them up. But we need to trust, trust God with our parents, our aging parents, our, our siblings. Are we trusting God with our family? Are we trusting God with our finances? Uh, Pastor, have you noticed the gas prices? Have you noticed that? Because I took out a small loan and got approved for my tank of gas this week. Well, I think I'll pull back on my giving until it clears up. This is a little while. Okay, dumb, dumb, dumb. Dum, dum, dum. That's a soundtrack. Dum, dum, dum. Okay. Does a farmer, if he doesn't have enough to eat, well, I'm concerned about the situation. I'm going to plant less seed this year. Tell someone, be a smart farmer. Be a smart farmer. When, when it looks like you don't, when things are worse, you actually need to, by faith, up your giving. I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to open my heart, and I'm going to close it because I don't know all of you guys. But when I was going to my first Bible school, I was a young buck. I was 21, 22, going to, to a Bible school. And, and up until that time, my parents had paid for my college. They paid for my car insurance. They paid, it was a full ride. <laughs> but when I, got, when I got done, they said, good. A day of graduation, they said, you're on your own your rent, your car, and everything. So, so I'd moved into an apartment, and I'd been, for the first time, paying rent for my first time, paying for my car insurance, and God calls me to go to Bible school. And I told my parents about it, and they said, great, have fun with that. 
And so I was paying for the tuition and all. And so I got into fear that I wouldn't have enough. I made the decision I was going to cut back on my giving. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> Thank you. Soundtrack is playing. That night, that day I made that decision, that night I had a dream. Now, I don't have a lot of dreams that are spiritual. Uh, some blame it on pizza. Don't blame peeps pizza. It's gotten a bad rap. Stop it. Broccoli is what does it. But with me, if I wake up and I don't know the meaning, I just put it on the side or it was just a, it was just a regular dream. But uh, I woke up knowing exactly what it meant. So I was, I was, in this dream, I was flying in an airplane. What does the airplane mean? I don't know. And I don't care. So I'm on an airplane flying, and uh, I'm sitting there nice and calm. But this, this uh, young girl, she must have been five or six years old. She was sitting in the seat in front of me. She, she stood up, wheeled around, and stuck her finger right on my nose and said, you must give to receive. Wow. And I woke up. And I didn't need a prophetic, <laughs> interpretive book to explain to me what God was saying. I decided to up my giving. And I never missed a beat, never missed a rent payment, never missed a tuition payment. I was a waiter at the time, and the tips would come in that night when I would need it, and God supernaturally met my need. Are you trusting God with your finances? Is God your source, or is finances your source? Are you trusting God? Are you trusting God with your marriage? Are you trusting God to be the head of that home and that God's going to lead you and guide you? Are you in trust that you're trusting that you're leading as the head, leading that home? Because you need, guys, you need, uh, we need help, guys. Men need help. That's why we got to help me. Because we need help. And we also got the help, the Holy Spirit's called the helper. And we need hamburger helper. We need help everywhere. <laughs> Are you trusting God to lead you? Are you in prayer? God, lead me. Give me wisdom to lead my wife, lead my kids, lead my family to be that. Ladies, are you trusting God with your spouse? Well, have you seen Dudley? Like, you seen my Dudley? And some of you ladies got to watch this Hallmark thing. What is this? Oh, this guy's this hunk, and he's such a godly person. And you're like, oh. You're looking at him, and then Dudley comes out. And you're looking over them, and you're like, really? You need to trust God with Dudley. Because if you'll trust God with Dudley, God is able to move in Dudley's life and make him Dudley do right. And Dudley to do right. Are you trusting God in your marriage? Are you trusting God in your ministry? Are you trusting God open the doors for you or are you trying to kick it open are you trusting God when he's telling you to step out are you stepping out are you trusting God in your ministry or on your job are you trusting him well Pat what does it look like to trust God when you're not comfortable your flesh does not like trusting God your flesh and trust don't like each other. So what it looks like in Daniel's life to trust God may look totally different what it looks like for me to trust God. We may be in a similar situation. God's always calling us out of our comfort zone. Tell someone, get out of that Snuggie. <laughs> Come out, into the, into your, out of the comfort zone of your flesh and trust him. I'll give you an example. If it's being about ministry, how do you trust God with ministry is because how it looks to me may look different than Daniel or different than you. There's some personalities are, I will make it happen now. I'm the type who will kick in the doors. Ha ha, I'm here. Praise the Lord. I'm your gift. And for you to trust God, God's saying, hey, hey, a supercharger, idle the engine. 
I want you to let me open the door. So cancel the business card order and the letter you're sending out to everybody. And I want you to be quiet and let me do it for you. Oh, really? Oh. But another person, like my personality, and God says, send out that business card or go out and introduce yourself. And you're like, no, do you have another plan? Is there any other plan? And it looks different for you. What is God calling you to trust? What area are you in a comfort zone to where you're not trusting him? Because trust means you're well-pleasing. You're well-pleasing. Well, how, how do I build that, that faith? Well, the word. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I told you we'd get here. Colossians 1, look at verse 9 and 10. We're talking about being fully pleasing to God. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Say fully pleasing him. If you can fully please, you can less than fully please. You can trust or you can fully trust. You know what I'm talking about? I trust them a little bit, but I got plan A, plan B, plan ZZ top in the wings in case it didn't work. No, fully trust them. Tell someone fully trust them. Being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we can fully please him. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, say each one, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I like the good part, but the bad part worries me. What are you saying here, God? Well, let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Well, first of all, Pastor, I thought you taught and, and Karis and other people taught that we're never going to be judged anymore for our sins, that our sins have been judged by Jesus. And, and so uh, what's this judgment seat of Christ? Well, I want you to see there's two types of judgments. I want you to see John chapter uh, 5, look at verse 24. John 5, 24. Here's a judgment you will never have to go through. You don't even know yet. But hallelujah, it has to be good. I know that. All right. She said, any judgment I don't have to go through? Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. All right. All right, John 5, verse 24. Jesus says this in the red. They had red ink back there. That's, some, that's good. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Raise your hand if you've heard his word and believe in Jesus. This is for you. This is your verse. I say to you, he that believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. What judgment is he talking about? He's talking about the judgment for your sins. Jesus was judged for your sins one time for all time for eternity in full and he doesn't have to make up any he missed. You'll never enter into that judgment. But you will enter into a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. It's all in the title, judgment seat of Christ. What is the judgment seat of Christ? So we're going to look at the judgment seat of Christ. That's actually the title of the message today, the judgment seat of Christ. And so it says, for we must all, say all. all. I looked up in the Greek and it all means all. That means that there's no super dupers that get to get out of it. I'm going to clep out of that. You know, I'm just, I'm beyond that. Don't, I can get out of that. No, and there's no insignificance. That God doesn't know everything you've done that he wants to reward you. Not a single person that's going to miss this. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one 
may receive the things done in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. So, Pastor, what is this judgment about? It's a judgment of your works. And what quality, or where did they come from? Where did they originate from? From the flesh, from self, or in God? And, and, and this, this judgment day is going to, to examine your work, what you've done, the quality of it, and to determine your reward that God gives you. I'm, raise your hand if you're up for a reward. Amen. So, so what's going to be involved in this is not just what you've done, but why did you do it? Look at 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse 5. This speaks of when he judges us, what will happen. First Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So not just what you've done, but why you did it. Now, what you did may look beautiful to other people, but God's going to go to the root of it and say, why did you do it? Why did you do it? And so this is at the judgment seat. Look at, say judgment seat. It's the Greek word bema. It's a small little word. It's translated judgment seat. But bema means a raised place with steps. It was a platform where a judge sat. And the bema seat was where the judge of the Olympic Games sat. And he would judge over the Olympic Games. And the ones that won the races, they would come up the steps and be rewarded for, for what they had done. And Jesus is going to sit on the Bama seat, and he's going to reward us for our race that we have run well. And so this is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's going to be another judgment after the thousand-year reign of Jesus. This is a different judgment, and tell someone you don't want to be there. Let's look at that one real quick. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 11. The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians, for believers, and it's for your works. The, the, the judgment we're looking at here is called the great white throne. The great white throne. And the Lord will sit on the great white throne. Notice it's not a bema. It's a throne. We get the Greek, the Greek word thronos where we get the word throne. And so this is a different judgment altogether. And so the Lord will be sitting on the great white throne, not the bema seat. And it says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, for there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, say the dead, yes. small and great standing before God. Well, how are they going to stand if they're dead? Well, they're spiritually dead. All the spiritually dead from all the time periods are going to stand before great and small, small and great. Small means that they were just the regular Mary, Joe, Sally, never really known. The great are the ones that had positions and powers, movers and shakers and the kings and the people that were important, but they didn't know the Lord. They will all stand before the Lord. And the books were opened. God's into bookkeeping. He's a meticulous bookkeeper. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Their works. We're judging based on our works based on reward. Theirs based on their salvation. Because what happened? The people that are standing here, they said, you know what? I don't think I really need Jesus. I'm good. Have you ever met somebody? You ask them, why do you think you'll go to heaven? I'm a good person. I believe my good will outweigh my bad. Good luck with that one. And they're going to be, everyone here is going to be trusting in their works. This is okay. You're trusting in your works for salvation? Let's look at them. I see here you had perfect attendance in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Got the blue ribbon. I couldn't wait till you got there. Well, let's find out why you did it. To, you wanted to impress Sally. All right, you, something else. Go on, go on. Uh, you gave to the Kiwanis Club. Yep, I knew you'd bring that up. Yep, I faithfully gave to the Kiwanis Club. Why did you give to the Qantas Club? To run business deals. Um, can we move on? 
And every time a good work's brought up, the root of it's evil. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Universalists don't like that verse. They don't like that verse. And so this is a judgment that we're not going to be a part of if you're a believer. If you don't know Jesus today, this is a perfect opportunity. Today. Because tomorrow's not promised to you. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the time for salvation. And so going back to the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, again, our works are going to be judged, not so much you or sin. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. This is speaking of the judgment seat of Christ. That's what's going to happen for each of us. Each of us have a day to where we'll appear before the Lord alone. I'm making sure Joanne goes first. See how it turns out. I'm a chicken, I know it. 1 Corinthians 3.10. 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. We're going to find out what that foundation is in the next verse. And another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and specifically your accepting him as Lord and Savior, your salvation experience in Jesus is the foundation that you're going to be standing on that day. And that foundation's not going to be rocked. It's not going to be cracked. It's going to stand. And your, your whole life's going to be on that foundation. And the minute you accept Jesus, that foundation is laid. And now everything you do afterwards is being built on that foundation. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, Jesus and your experience of salvation, with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, and straw. Now, do you think that those are different qualities? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble? Try giving your wife a wooden wedding ring. Yeah. That'll go good. Now, one's precious, one's not so much. But what, we, what people see, they may see much, much of difference between what you did and I did. But it, what did it come out of? God sees our heart. He sees what's precious and what's not. What's incorruptible, what's non-corruptible. Incorruptible versus not. Look at verse 13. Each one's work, say work. This is your work, not you. Your work. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. What day? The day of judge, the judgment seat of Christ. Will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work. Say work. Of what sort it is. If anyone's work, say work, which he has built on it indoors, he will receive a reward. God is a rewarder. He's looking for opportunities to reward you. Look at verse 15. If anyone's work, say work, is burned. So work, 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 work. He's trying to get something through to your thick skull. It's not you. It's not your sin. It's your work. And it's based on what reward you're going to get. Verse 15. What if you don't have any good works? If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Oh, no. Suffer. Oh, I don't like it. Loss of my salvation. What's a, what, what will you get if it's good work? Reward. What will you lose if it's burned up? You lose your reward. 
but I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my salvation. How do you know, Pastor, it's not salvation? Can you read? <laughs> Keep reading. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. There are some people come out of a house fire. They don't have time to take anything with them. The whole house is burned up. They walk out and they're standing outside just with themselves. And that's why some Christians, they don't have any good works. They may have waited to the very last second to receive Jesus. They stand before the Lord and they have nothing to honor the Lord with. Now, this is Rickyology. When, I, when it's just some Rickyology, I'll let you know. But I believe that the Bible's clear that we will receive part of our reward is a crown, that we receive a crown. The Lord gives crowns out. And this is Rickyology. I believe the crown is fashioned out of the gold, silver, and precious stones that makes it through the fire. And when Jesus comes back, it says he's the king of kings, lord of lords, and he's crowned with many crowns. Where did he get them? From us who realize that what, you know, every, everything that you've done that you're rewarding me for is rooted in your grace to start with. And it's on this foundation. I wouldn't even be here without Jesus. You're going to take the crown off and you're going to cast it at his feet. In heaven, there's elders. In Revelation, it talks about there are elders that fall down before and cast their crowns before the Lord. Elders do that. Elders, Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros means mature ones. Mature ones realize that everything that's done and good in their life comes from God's grace, and they cast their crowns at his feet. Young ones say, yeah, I'm all that. So we're going to, but we're, I want to have something to cast before the Lord. And I believe, this is Rickyology, but I believe this, that our crowns can be crafted out of the gold, silver, and precious stones that comes through this fire. And I want to get, I want to give him a crown to wear, not a thimble. <laughs> crown him with many thimbles. <laughs> That's not how that song goes. The judgment seat of Christ is mentioned three times. Romans 14.10, 1 Corinthians 13.10-15, and 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's mentioned three times in Scripture. Three is the number of redemption. The judgment seat of Christ is for the redeemed. The unredeemed will be at the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Again, the white throne judgment is for unbelievers. Now, who's going to be the judge sitting on the throne? Well, God the Father. No, absolutely not. The judge on both seats is Jesus. The judgment seat of Christ. Well, it has to be God the Father and the other one. No, it's going to be Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Because I read the Bible. Look at John chapter 5, 22. John chapter 5, look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed how much judgment? All judgment to the Son, for He's the Son of Man, and He will be the judge. Now, isn't it very comforting that your Savior happens to be the judge? The one that died for you, was whipped and bit, He loves you that much? He's your judge. Now, it's not a good news if you've forsaken him and rejected him. That each one, I'm back in 2 Corinthians 5, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The good will be reward, have rewarded. The bad will be a loss of reward. Verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust we are well known in your consciences. Now, this phrase, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, I need you to set that aside for a second. Because if you don't understand the context, your understanding will be wrong. See, the king to Bible interpretation is always context. 
And this whole passage I read to you from verse 9 all the way to verse 13, Paul is referring to him as a minister wanting to honor the Lord, wanting to fully please him, to be a minister that he can uh, honor the Lord with a reward with his life well done, life well served, and, and he desired to have a pleasing life that he lives out before others. And that's the whole context of the entire passage. Matter of fact, I'm leaving that one section. We'll come back to it. Paul says here in verse 11, but we are well known to God. If you're born again, guess what? You're well known in three realms. You're known, you're known in heaven, you're known on the earth, and you're known under the earth. The devil knows your name. You know, if you're an unbeliever, the devil don't even know those working for him. How how do you know that? Do you remember the seven sons of Sceva? They said, now, I cast you out by by the name of Jesus, which this Paul guy preaches and believes in. And the Spirit says, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And they were working for him. They were on payroll. If you're born again, you're known by God. Tell someone you're known by God. Look at 2 Timothy 2.19. It shows us this. 2 Timothy 2.19. We are well known to God. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal. And the seal has these these words written on it. The Lord knows those that are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, I know the Lord. Yeah, but have you departed from iniquity? That's your side. Well, well, is that person saved or not? Well, God knows on his side. He knows those that are his. Well, you want to make sure you're the one? Well, prove it by departing from iniquity. You know, in Matthew 7, verse 23, Jesus is going to say one day, but many will come and say, Lord, Lord, on that day. And what does Jesus say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice law. Oh, I'm so afraid Jesus is going to tell me to leave. Oh, depart. The devil's whipped so many Christians with this verse, but they don't read it. I never knew you. If you've accepted Jesus, he knows you. This is not talking about you. Paul says, I am well known to God, but I need to make myself well known to people. Because the people can't see your precious spirit. They can see your precious spirit by what you do. And Paul's saying here, in the the context of this entire passage, is that that I want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. I want to, to make a difference in my life with my good works. I want to honor the Lord, but I also want to reach people. And he says, we're well known to God. And he says, and he also trusts, we're well known to you and your conscience because you know who I was. I lived with you for three years. And down deep in your heart, you know who I am. And now let's go back to that phrase. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, the word terror is the Greek word phobos, where we get phobia. It's translated at almost every other place you find it, it's translated fear. Where we get phobia, it's fear. Forty-three times the translators of the King James and the New King James translated this Greek word fear. But for some reason, they needed to up the ante and put terror. Because undoubtedly, they put in their mind the terror of hell. Now, I'm not discounting the fact that we need to persuade unbelievers to receive Jesus because there is a terror, there is a hell to shun, and a heaven to gain. I fully believe it, but I don't believe in context. That's really what he's saying here. Well, how would you say that, Pastor? Because of the word therefore. When you see the word therefore, what should you ask? What is it therefore? Knowing therefore... The terror of the Lord we persuade men. Well, therefore means it has to be connected to what he just said. And he was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. 
But I have a question for you. At the judgment seat of Christ, is your salvation at stake that possibly you'll be thrown into hell? No. So that's not what he's talking about here. So what he's saying here is, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And so the fear of the Lord, it's good that we all should have the fear of the Lord. Fear means reverence, yeah. awe. We should have the fear of the Lord. And Paul says, I'm, knowing that I'm going to have a judgment day one day where my works are going to be judged, good or bad, and, and the byproduct of it is where I can honor the Lord with him. I, I reverence God. I fear God. So therefore, my goal is to live such a way as a minister that I persuade people. And how do you persuade people? By becoming well-known to them. And how do you become well-known? Is that you manifest Jesus. You manifest Jesus. So what he's saying here is, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known of God and also trust that we're well known uh, by your own conscience. This is what I really believe that's being said in this uh, nutshell here. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men as to our integrity and sincerity as ministers of Christ. But whether we succeed in persuading men or not, we are well known to God. And we hope that this will be the case in your conscience, of you Corinthians as well. That was brought out of the Believer's Bible commentary I just quoted from. I believe that's the gist of what's being said here. Now am I saying, well, pastor's not believing in hell. No, I do believe in this. There's a hell. There's many verses that talk about that. But this is really in context talking about Paul wanting to live a life that pleases God, honors God, and really when it comes to persuading men, we have to do it with our lifestyle. Next verse, verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Paul says, we are not commending ourselves again. I'm not going to reintroduce myself. I lived with you for three years, lived among you. You know us very well. I'm not going to be reintroduced. Why did he say that? Because there was a group of people that came in when he left called false teachers, Judaizers. They came in and started lying about Paul. Yeah, you don't know about this Paul guy. He said he was an apostle? Well, did he dress nice? Oh, no, he didn't have the best song. And he said he'd been in prison and been whipped and beaten. Oh, if he was a man of faith, bad things don't happen to those that trust God. Those that are blessed by God. You don't sound like he's a very blessed guy to me. You don't know who this guy is. He hoodwinked you. We're going to find it throughout the book that he's going to have to address and actually defend himself against these false teachers. He says, I'm not going to reintroduce myself again. But I'm giving you an opportunity right now to boast in us. You ought to be proud of us and proud to know us because we led you into the kingdom. Everything you know about God, we, we helped you know that. And now you're like you're embarrassed of us. We're giving you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. I heard a minister one time say that it's wrong to say you're proud of your son or daughter because pride's always wrong. It's not always wrong. It's the source of it. It's okay to be proud of what God has done in your son and daughter. It's even good to be proud of what God's done in your life. But if you start getting into pride of what you've done, that's wrong. But Paul says here, I'm giving you an opportunity to, to boast or have pride in us. That you may have the answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Because these big shots came in, dressed all nice, talking good things, talking super apostle. And about everything they've done and wonderful and running down Paul. And Paul says that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, basically saying if we're crazy. Why did he say that? Because the false teacher is saying this guy was nuts. You mean he was thrown in prison, beaten and whipped and all this stuff? And that's nuts. That's crazy. If they were supermen, they would, they'd be blessed. They're just crazy nuts. Ask someone, are you crazy? The word, 
The word beside yourself means to be out of your mind. This guy's out of his mind. Ask someone, are you out of your mind? Paul was slandered for his ministry and stance for God. Unfortunately, there's times where you're going to have to endure being slandered in your ministry or in your calling. Jesus endured that. You know, his own family thought he was nuts. So don't mind it if your family thinks you're nuts. Jesus just picked his 12 disciples, and they were wondering if he was nuts all the way along. Son of God. I mean, many brothers have told another younger brother, son of God here. Don't believe it. Well, Jesus picked his 12 disciples out and sends them out, and he's really starting to grow in his ministry. Mark 3.21 says, but when his own people, that's his family, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. There might be some people in your life saying, you're out of your mind trusting God. And if you're trusting God, then why are you going through those trials? Well, hide and watch. Look what God's going to do. But he says, if I'm crazy, it's for God. Let me ask you a question. Who do you call a crazy person? Someone that loves Jesus more than you. Thank you. Remember when David danced mightily before the Lord? He threw his king's garment off and he's whirling and twirling. And, and, Mike, and Michael sitting there from the window despising him, thinking he's out of his mind. But he was out of his mind to the Lord. He says, if, if I'm out of my mind, it's for the Lord's sake. But if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. So what he's really saying here, what this verse says in short, is that all Paul's behavior could be explained in one or two ways. Either it was zeal for God, or, it was, or, or what he did was welfare for his fellow believers. In both cases, his motives were entirely unselfish. Could the critics say that of themselves? Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us a firm foundation of salvation to Jesus and that we're never going to get judged for our sins ever again. It was judged one time. But one day we are going to stand before you and what we've done will be judged. Where did it come from? Trusting God or trusting in ourselves? And you say, Pastor, we talked about those, one, those things we talked about, trusting God with your family, trusting God with your finances, Trusting God with your marriage. Trusting God with your ministry. Trusting God with your job. And the question is, are you, are you fully trusting Him? Are you trusting Him? Because there, you have my many, many areas in your life where you're trusting God and you're pleasing. But in this area, this one area, you know if you're trusting God or not. You know that. You say, Pastor, there's an area that I'm not trusting God. Or enough. I'm not, I'm not getting out of my comfort zone. It's scary. To fear God is to fear nothing else. And today I'm going to trust God. I'm going to please Him. He's going to smile. When you trust Him, He just smiles. That's my daughter. That's my son. If you know what that area it is, I want you to raise your hand up, acknowledge it before the Lord. I'm going to trust God in that area and fully trust Him. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. And hand that over, hand the thing over to Him. Trust God. And that looks different in every situation. Just trust Him. And Father, I thank you that pleases you. It's a, it's a well-pleasing aroma. A well-pleasing sacrifice. That pleases you. I thank you, Father, for your grace being released into your people. And I thank you for the power of God being released in your people. 
and deliverance released in your people, provision released for your people right now in that area. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. This is the Amplified Classic Edition. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. As it is written, he, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing. He will increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous. And your generosity as it is administered by us will bring forth thanksgiving to God. Um, I just wanted to encourage those who are going through uh, financial troubles. I was four to five months behind on my car payment and on my on my mortgage in Louisiana. And uh, my car was about to get repossessed. The house was about to be taken. But um, I was able to get my retirement and pay all that back. And, uh, and the Lord has continued to provide for me in regards to the mortgage and the car payment. So please don't look at what it looks like. And what pastor said, you are a farmer. You are a sower. So you just keep sowing. That's your spiritual warfare. Amen. You keep giving. Hallelujah. And don't let... <laughs> Don't let Satan stop you, amen, because God gives seed to the sower, so you continue to trust him with your finances. He is your source, not your job, and he will give you creative ideas in regards to how to multiply your resources, amen. So uh, during worship, the Lord gave me Psalms 23, 5, and 6, and I feel like he's just all over this right now. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I had this vision, and uh, I grew up on a ranch, so if anyone's ever been like on a piece of property, like the faucet that comes up is a spigot, and you have to pull the handle up for the water to come out. And I had this vision that the handle's up, and it's overflowing. It's in this bucket, and it just is overflowing, and it's going everywhere. And our mindset is the power to shut it off. But the Lord's saying, how much do you want? Because I'm overflowing it. It's going to keep coming from me because I'm the source of that water to overflow it. And Pastor was mentioning this morning that gas prices have gone high. But I can guarantee you that the Lord is not up there going, oh, God, Jesus, St. Gabriel, gas prices are $4. He is already prepared that for us. It didn't surprise him. He's like, oh, I knew that was coming. I got it prepared for them. They're going to overflow, and it's going to keep going on to the next and on to the next. <laughs>